On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, here's your host, JT the Brick. Oh, yes, out of the gate, JT with you. What a big Monday here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, and on the Raiders mobile app. Hope everybody had a great weekend. A lot to get to as we recap the weekend, which included one of the favorite sporting events I've watched in a long time, Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship, all the NBA playoffs, the hockey playoffs, as the Golden Knights played tonight a little bit later than normal, 7.30 start there over at the Fortress. And you can go to happy hour at PT's from 5 to 7 before the game or if you're going to watch the game, half price food and drinks leading into that game tonight, 60-plus locations here in the Valley. This will be a big night for PT's, Sierra Gold, Sean Patrick's, the SG Bar, all the spots that we talk about as PT's fuels the monologue. And they are an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's the big story in town tonight as we get going. I'm fired up. Big day today. This is my favorite day of the year. 20 years ago today, my son was born, which is a big deal, and my son is going to the game tonight. He's in town, back from college, and my wife and my son are going to the game tonight. It's also my favorite day of the year because my dad was born today, 83 years ago today. So my dad and my son's birthday is my favorite day of the year. Every year, I say that with all due respect to my wife on our wedding anniversary, which was beautiful, and my other son, which is beautiful. He's June 18th. This day had the biggest impact in my life, my first son being born, and my dad's birthday. And to have that together on the same day is really exciting for me. And I'm excited for the Golden Knights tonight. I'm fired up to talk Raiders. We got a great guest coming up right out of the gate at the bottom of the hour. Van McElroy, the former Super Bowl safety, will join us. He's fantastic. He just spoke. He was the key, one of the key speakers at the Mike Davis Memorial when I saw him a couple of weeks ago. So looking forward to catching up with the Super Bowl champion, the two-time Pro Bowler. Ryan Hollins will join us, ESPN NBA insider on the Lakers and the Clippers, both L.A. teams that are struggling and we'll talk about that. And then Shane Knighty, who's on the broadcast, the analyst for the Golden Knights. He'll join us at the top of next hour as there's playoff hockey here in town. And it's a big deal as the Golden Knights. And I'll get to them somewhere in the monologue. They got to put away Minnesota. Got to put them away tonight, period. This team is too good. At times they have VGK's number. And we don't want anybody getting back on a plane again, flying across country to play in another game. This is a day... There shouldn't be much left for the Wild. And Vegas has got to be ready early with this fast-starting team and this young team that's very fast. We'll be talking about that throughout the course of the show. But let's begin with the Raiders here on Raider Nation Radio. I'll even put it above the fold of Phil Mickelson. And when we start with the Raiders, here's what's going to happen until the Raiders win more games and make the playoffs. The Raiders are going to be a team that is always talked about in regards to a trade. If there are great players that are available in a trade, you better believe that Vegas should be at the top of the list. Or what the hell are we all doing here? Why did Mark Davis get this unbelievable stadium with no state taxes, this shrine to the history of the Raiders in Vegas on the Strip, if the Raiders aren't going to be involved with trade talk with legends and future Hall of Famers? Isn't that the point? Isn't the point to draft players, develop players, and then also to cut the line and get better players if they become available. Now, there's risk-reward with all of that on how much you want to give up to get Julio Jones. 
because Julio Jones is available. And Julio Jones would be by far the best player on the Raider offense, with all due respect to Darren Waller, who's just done it for a short period of time, and Derek Carr, who is not a first ballot Hall of Famer like Julio Jones. So I think the world of Julio Jones, and he's a $15 million cap hit, but Atlanta might pay some of his salary. Might pay some of his salary the way Carolina paid some of Teddy Bridgewater's salary, a quarterback, to go to Denver. And what you have to give up in a trade is you have to give something up to get a player. But as of today, Julio Jones called in. He was with Shannon Sharp on Shannon Sharp's show with Skip Bayless, and he basically said, I'm out of there. So he is available. And any Raider fan who doesn't understand the importance of this potential trade, I'm very concerned about. Raiders don't have to trade for him. I think the Raiders are pretty loaded on offense. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, Sneed comes in, Brown comes in. They got plenty of weapons. They do. They got guys who can get open and catch the ball. They have receivers. They have maybe the best one-two running back combination in football, really. When you look at Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, so you got two guys who are featured backs. They can do it. And then Waller, again, as we said, is one of the best tight ends in football. Period. I think he's better than Kittle. I'd rather have him more than Kittle. But, you know, Travis Kelsey's in the division, and he deserves that title. So why wouldn't every Raider fan be calling me right now at 702-365-9200 on Julio Jones? Why? What the hell are we doing with the flagship station? Why are we even doing this? Why am I on the radio? What's the date today? I don't even know what the date is. I said it. May 24th, my son and dad's birthday. Why are we doing this if we're not in the conversation to get Julio Jones? He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Has he been banged up a little bit? Yes. Can he play? Absolutely. He is an elite superstar. He's 32 years old. I think he's got three, four years left in the league, at least two or three at a very, very high level. Jones's base salary is $15.3 million, fully guaranteed for the season. Scheduled to cost the Falcons $23.05 million against the cap this year and has cap hits of 19.263 in 2022 and 23. He's expensive, no doubt about it. He signed an unbelievable contract. But again, Atlanta could be willing, because he doesn't want to be there, to help pay the freight. According to Pro Football Talk, who broke down this deal, Mike Florio, a little while ago about what could happen in a trade. And here's what he said. If the Falcons simply are trying to find someone to take $15.3 million off the books, then it would just be a late-round pick. If they want a second-round pick, they might have to pay a large chunk of the salary. Mike Florio used the example of the Panthers who got a six-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater while also paying $7 million of his $10 million guaranteed salary. But the market will be more robust for Jones, and the Falcons will need to ask themselves whether they prioritize the best possible pick or the best possible cap outcome. So Julio Jones basically had fun with Shannon Sharp today, said he doesn't want to go to the Cowboys because he wants to go to a winner. I don't know. The Raiders were 8-8. They should have won 10 games. I think they're close to going to the playoffs. They should be a playoff team. And Jones can help them. You see, what at times drives me crazy in my job, which I love, is the fact that too many people are hypocrites. Too many Raider fans want to win now at all costs to the point where they are screaming at each other 
But then you bring up a move like Julio Jones and a player like that, and Raider fans are like, well, what's going to happen to the Ruggs touches or Edwards touches? Give me a break. Are you kidding me? You're worried about Brian Edwards' touches and how many receptions he's going to get compared to Julio Jones? Let me tell you what Julio Jones can do on third and seven. He can clear out an entire area of the field and bring over a triple team, almost a double team, which would open up the field for Darren Waller more and open up the field for Henry Ruggs, Josh Jacobs out of the backfield, and Hunter Renfro in the slot. Do you like that? I think you like that. I think you can understand that no one, no one in this league over the last 10 years, A.J. Green at times, there's been players nobody can get open quicker than Julio Jones and make a play. He's the guy. So he's that good. And he's going to the Hall of Fame. And if he wants to go to the Hall of Fame quickly, he needs another couple of good years to play at a high level, and I think he'd be a great Raider. Now, I am not in the back room crunching the numbers with the Raiders. Can the Raiders redo contracts and get under the cap more and do it? Of course they can. Can they restructure contracts to get him in? Of course they can. Can they give a higher draft pick so possibly possibly Atlanta would pay some of the freight? Yes. But you don't think I'm opening up my Monday with Julio Jones? I mean, we got to dip the show in reality every day. You know, for those who criticize me and say, you know, I'm too much inside and I'm too kind to the Raiders – Give me a break. Everything that's fair and available, I look at as a separate entity and a separate deal. Derek Carr getting Julio Jones would be an absolute game changer because Darren Waller is a 100 reception tight end. You'd have two of the best players in the NFL on offense, period, and it would change the way the Raiders could win games. The Raiders with Julio Jones, follow me here, can keep the defense on the sideline. We all agree with that. We all agree with that. So if you're complaining and whining about the Raider defense not being strong enough and they can't get off the field, well, Julio Jones can keep the Raider defense on the sideline. Julio Jones can do that and be a tremendous weapon. Now, I don't know if John Gruden wants him or not. 32 years old might be someone, you know, you might say 32. Let's go with our young guns here. We have a plan in place. And that'll be, that'll be the answer. I'll be with Mike Mayock tonight. Um, I'm part of a virtual event with Mike Mayock with some club PSL holders. We will not be talking about this because Julio Jones is under contract, just like Aaron Rodgers is under contract. But can we all agree, ladies and gentlemen, that when Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones and Deshaun Watson are all potentially involved in blockbuster trades, we better be talking about it in Vegas or the team should have stayed in Oakland, where Oakland is toxic when it comes to politics. Oakland is toxic when it comes to taxes. Oakland wasn't a place where players wanted to play as free agents in their prime or future Hall of Famers all the time because of the facility and the stadium and the problems they had. Can we all agree that the Raiders should be involved with any considerable conversation when it comes to a trade? Your thoughts on moving a mountain to get Julio Jones. That's what a flagship radio station does in New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Seattle, Detroit. This is what we need to do a better job here in Vegas. And if you're listening on the Raiders app, we implore you, if you're a Raider fan from all over the country, to get going on this, 702-365-9200. Here's Julio Jones today with Shannon Sharp. You watching, Julio? I really hope he answers here. 
Julio, have the guts to pick up the phone. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. All right. Julio. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you up. I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Got to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. Nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out. Of He's out of there. Are you going to... Ideally, where would you like to go? Uh, right now, I'm just... See, I want to win. Okay. Dallas. We don't go to Dallas. If you go, you ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. So this is the biggest story in the NFL today, everybody. And supposedly, if you look at the betting, betting numbers that the Raiders are the second favorite to, to land Julio Jones. So that's it. That's all we're talking about here. Uh, it's a different story than Derek Carr. Okay, for Derek Carr, if Derek Carr was traded or moved for Aaron Rodgers, and that would be a blockbuster move, obviously. I want On the record, I want Derek Carr to stay. I, I think Derek could lead the Raiders to the playoffs and win playoff games, but I, I think Derek's only going to go as far as the defense. And Julio Jones is one of the few players that I think can change the dynamics of John Gruden and the Raiders so the defense and Gus Bradley won't be on the field as much because the defense has got to spend more time on the sideline for an array of reasons. So I'd like your opinion on this. I'd rather not wait because the show sold out today and we want to get through to you. I got a lot of other things I want to cover. Yes or no on Julio Jones. And you don't have to break it down like a calculus major. Assuming the Raiders are able to pull off this deal, and financially do it, and Atlanta is desperate enough to move them, what would you be willing to give up, and would you take on a contract like this to get one of the all-time great receivers who still has something left? And if you don't think he has something left, or a lot left, I respect your opinion too. 702-365-9200 as the show is on the air live. We're not a podcast. Let's get it going here. Let me quickly move over to Phil Mickelson. Uh, Phil Mickelson won yesterday. And it was just incredible. It was one of the best sporting events for me personally that I've watched in a long time because I fly my Phil flag. I'm a big Phil Mickelson fan. And normally I pick him to win. Over the decades, I pick Phil to win almost every major because I like Phil. I want him to win. I like Phil more than Tiger. Phil has lived in the shadows of Tiger Woods. But this was a defining moment of his career. The oldest man to ever win a major at the age of 50. It's the defining moment of Phil Mickelson's career. And there's so much to this story and the way he played. Let's go back to Sunday on the seventh hole when Phil started off a little slow but then got the birdie on five where he hit the bunker shot into the cup and then came back on seven. Mickelson for birdie now to get back to seven under. Huge Crowd gathered around this green, put his way, working up to the cup, and he walked it right in. There it is, Phil getting on a roll there. What's incredible about this Phil Mickelson story is not only did he do it at the age of 50, he believed it was possible, he wanted to do it, and he had to transform his body. He had to train harder than ever, and he was able to pull it off. What an approach shot he hit on 18 with all of those fans around him on the hill. He had a rough lie, and he put it in the center of the green, and then he was able to two-putt to win another major. Nicholson from 16 feet. This ball going to work just a little bit from left to right as that works down the slope. Left to right, up to the cup, and that stops six inches away. But Phil Nicholson's going to tap in for a par. He is going to shoot a 1 over 73 in the final round. But Phil Nicholson creates and sets 
professional golf history, the oldest to win a major championship. Phil Mickelson embraces his brother Tim. Phil Mickelson is the champion of the 103rd PGA Championship. PGA Tour Radio on the call, and Vegas is a really vibrant golf town. We have the best golf courses here. People all are playing golf around Vegas all the time. If you're a golf fan, we're a talk show. We'd love to know what that that victory meant to you. It was incredible to me. I called my dad afterwards. He's a lefty. He's a Phil fan. I watched it with one of my sons. It was just a great day. To me, it was a priority more than LeBron in the NBA. So what Phil Mickelson did, I didn't think he could do. Uh, One of the weird things on the story of Phil winning is this is what I thought Tiger would exactly do if Tiger didn't get into that horrific car accident. I always said that I was going to stick with Tiger catching Jack Nicklaus and tying him because I thought Tiger would win at 48, 49, 50. If Phil could do it, why can't Tiger do it? But Tiger had such a violent car accident that, look at it, I I just don't think that Tiger's ever going to be able to win a major again. I hope he can. But for Phil Mickelson, the next major is at Torrey Pines in San Diego where he grew up as a kid, as an amateur. You know, Phil can get this train going. I thought it was magical. Phil talked about it after the round, the feeling like he's never felt before. This is just an incredible feeling because I I just believed that it was possible, but yet everything was saying it wasn't. And I I hope that um, others find that inspiration. It might take a little extra work, a little bit harder effort to maintain uh, physically or maintain the, the skills, but gosh, is it worth it uh, in the end? And I, I'm uh, so appreciative to be holding this Wanamaker trophy. I believe, this is my opinion, I'd like yours, I believe what Phil did was much more difficult than Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at 43. I mean, Tom Brady hands the ball off, he throws completions and incompletions, throws a couple of nice balls in a game, and then half the game is played on defense or more in special teams. So Tom Brady plays a team sport. This is an individual sport mostly for Phil. And the fact that Phil beat so many young, great golfers and hammered them. Look, he won the tournament by two strokes, but he buried a whole bunch of other guys by six, eight, ten strokes. So this was one of the most dominant performances in golf history. I think that Phil's victory at the PGA Championship is a Mount Rushmore event in the history of golf tournaments. And if you go on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest victories, I think you have to have one with Tiger, either the 2000 U.S. Open or the Masters, one of the ones that Tiger's most famous for. Pick pick Pebble Beach or the Masters where he left the field. Then you'd have to include Jack Nicklaus in one of his 18. But I think Phil gets in with this because it's never been done before. Jack couldn't do it. Tiger couldn't do it. Tom Watson couldn't do it. So I am ecstatic about this, and if you want to tie it into any other sport, let's do that. And then quickly, let's get to the tuck goal as Vegas is stormed back in the series against the Minnesota Wild. They'll play tonight, 7.30 p.m. at T-Mobile Arena, and now Vegas is flying with nine unanswered goals. Vegas has to regroup at center after the offensive zone draw. Tuck charges through. He shoots. He scores! Went to his backhand, back to his forehand. Tuck gives Vegas a 2-0 lead. That was huge. Dan Duva on the call. And then Mark Stone, the captain, is playing like the captain for VGK. Just thrilled at the leadership qualities that he's shown us here since he's become the captain. The shorthand to goal and the emotion. This is an all-time top moment in the history of the Golden Knights. Dumba lost it to Stone. Shorthanded right side. And he comes. Fakes. He scores! 
Mark Stone, short-handed goal. Took the goal off its pegs, lost his stick, but more room to pump his fist. Vegas leads 3-0. Incredible. Incredible. As we see that there. So a really busy monologue as we're brought to you by Sam and Ash. Go to SamAndAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. If you get into an accident, two people to call, Sam or Ashley. There's Sam and Ash at SamAndAshLaw.com. Phil at 50, Tiger winning the Masters in 2019, Jack in 86. Those are the three performances that stand alone in the history of the game, and it happened with Phil yesterday. I'd really like some reaction on this as we open up the show. 702-365-9200. Johnny in North Las Vegas. Start us off on a Monday. How are you? JT, as a left-handed golfer, I, I've always loved that guy. I've loved it. I, I'm so happy for him. He's a good guy. It's beautiful, man. It's completely beautiful. As a, and it was every bit as good as Tiger a couple of years ago. And Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. As far as Julio, he can only make the Raiders better. So we gotta, if we got to roll the dice, no state taxes, it's great, man. It's great, buddy. Good show, buddy. Well, yeah, thank you. You know, a lot of people, again, I, I'm not critical. Anybody who calls in, I praise because I like to talk to someone other than myself and Bobby. So if you don't like the Julio Jones deal, I, I'm cool with that. But the reason I like it is because I deal with the fans who complain the most about not winning. So when I say, well, how about Julio Jones? And then I got people that are going, well, this, that. You can't have it both ways. Yes or no, Julio Jones is available via a trade. So is Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. All right, so it's a different thing with Carr compared to a wide receiver. But look, I, I would hope, I thought the whole offseason was going to be dominated, dominated by the Raiders on the defensive side. I thought Peter King took a shot at the Raiders today when a fan asked him directly if he thought that the Raiders would be better, and he didn't think the Raiders' defense made significant upgrades. Yannick Ngakwe, Casey Hayward, Trayvon Morig, those are three new starters they have on defense. I think the Raiders' defense has been upgraded. I don't know if the word significantly makes a big difference when they're third to last in, in regards to giving up points. But I thought they did better. But if you don't get the fact that Julio Jones helps the defense by keeping the chains moving for Derek Carr, wow. And, and look, maybe Julio Jones isn't a fit for the Raiders because Gruden wants to run the ball more. You know, Gruden likes the two tight end set. He likes having a fullback. He's got a couple of running backs. Then maybe Julio Jones looks at the makeup of the Raiders and says, you know, I don't think the ball's coming out a lot. I think the ball's going to be on the ground half the time. I want to go to a team where I'm going to get the ball. We'll see how it plays out. Dave in Vegas, you're up next. How are Thanks. you, Dave? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, of course, Philly yesterday was one of the greatest things in golf. And i got to tell you, the first thing in my brain when he won that was Tiger sitting at home on the couch with his busted leg in three, four places. No one knows if he's going to come back and play golf again, but – you know, kind of like Michael Jordan in the last dance. Michael always made everything personal. I was thinking maybe this first Tiger on to give it one more shot, you know, when he finds out the condition of his leg. If Philly can win one at 50, maybe Tiger can win one at 51. Just uh, give him a little more oomph to try to make a comeback. Yeah, I don't know if Tiger can win now because of the severity of the shattered ankle and the yeah. knee surgeries and the back surgeries. Phil doesn't have that. Uh, Phil... You know, Phil hasn't suffered the injury. So he, he had a drive. 
I think he had a drive 366 yards yeah. on the back nine. I mean, the kids weren't doing that. They were 24, and Phil's doing yeah. it at 50, and he's going to be 51 here in a month. So, you know, I don't know if Tiger can get through the injuries to come back and dominate even one one major tournament the way Phil did on Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I don't know either. I guess we're all going to have to wait to find yeah. out. And then uh, one last thing, the Cup, my Cubs beat the Cardinals to take two out of three uh, over the weekend, so that's always a plus. Yes, it was. I watched that game last night on Sunday Night Baseball. Appreciate the call. Uh, 702-365-9200. When we come back, really a great Raider. Van McElroy came to this team, and he could play. Big locker room guy, tough tackler, played with some of the greatest Raiders of all time, and he's respected. 31 interceptions throughout his career. I'll stick around for that. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. Our legend segment coming up next, and your phone calls right behind it. Good to be here on a Monday. It's Raider Nation Radio. We all know what we're after, right? I mean, we all have that, that vision of what we're all shooting for, and we really got our vision on it. And we're not going to deny that. I mean, that's very important to us. It's very important to our fans in this organization. So we hold that really true to our heart, and we know that's the big picture that we're going after. Get on the bus with Gus. Gus Bradley, JT, back with you. Raider Nation Radio, Vegas Golden Knights, big playoff game tonight in a series that I thought was going to give them a lot of trouble. I thought it would be a six-game series. They got an opportunity to put it away before that in five, and if they can do that, get the wild out of the picture as Colorado advanced easily over St. Louis, and I figured that would happen. So that's a big moment coming up here, really big moment for the Golden Knights. This is a very mature team. A lot of veterans, uh, they got to understand the magnitude of getting rest and not having to get back on a plane again, especially with some of the injuries to some of these players here. And there hasn't been a goalie controversy because Marc-Andre Fleury is playing at a very high level. So if you got an opinion on the game tonight, again, I don't want to lose out on our Golden Knights talk. When we came over to this end of the dial, I said we got to talk Golden Knights, especially during the playoffs. And the Golden Knights got a Shane Knighty at the top of the hour, 702-365-9200. Van McElroy is going to join us here in a little bit. Uh, Mark in Vegas, thanks for waiting. You're up next, Mark. What's happening? Hey, what's up, JT, man? You're a pillar. Thank you for everything you do, man, for, for, the, uh, for the Raiders, for everybody. Golden Knights, man, you're awesome in Vegas. Thank you. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Hey, man, uh, thank God for Phil winning. You know, the 50-year-olds, man, we're, we're coming back. So, you know, uh, Lincoln Kennedy and I graduated at Morris High School in 88, San Diego. Uh, Phil, Phil Mickelson graduated in 88, uh, Malcolm Mount, San Diego. Man, it's awesome to see him win. Fantastic, bro. Hey, as far as uh, what Peter King said about the Raiders, man, I mean, he, does he know we have Gus Bradley on his side now? The defense is going to be a lot better. I don't understand why we get this negative feel in, this, in the industry uh, that there's downplay the Raiders, downplay the Raiders. I know we have to win. we got to win to set everybody up. Uh, we, we'll win this year. It's going to be a great time this year. Fans will be in the in the stands. It's going to be fantastic. Hey, go night tonight. Let's put them away tonight so we get the avalanche and, and win that series and get, get on to the Stanley Cup, JT. Hey, I appreciate your time. I know you got an interview. I'll be calling you soon, buddy. 
Thank you, man. Appreciate the call. Thanks for checking in. So you can get through if you want now. 702-365-9200. You know, Peter King. Peter King is is the type of guy that I love Peter King. Whenever I have him on, he's fantastic. He's always fantastic, and his his depth of knowledge is incredible. But people are going to believe it with the Raiders when the Raiders go out there and they play better defense and they prove it. And that's a big deal. Uh, Someone tweeted two hours ago at Peter King and said, Peter, is the Raiders' defense even average? If the Raiders' defense is even average, how, how high could they be on this list, talking about the defenses? And Peter King said, you're talking about cutting eight points a game off of what they allowed last year, which is 29.7 per game, third worst in the league. Without significant upgrades on defense, I can't see it. So he basically said he didn't see any significant upgrades on defense with Casey Hayward, Yannick Ngakwe, and our new young safety, Morig coming in. I thought that was significant. I thought the Raiders uh, bringing in six or seven new defensive tackles were significant. David Irving not being back was a bit of a surprise to me. What an interview we had with him. We had a hell of an interview with Irvin a couple of months ago where I thought he was going to be a big part of this. But with John Gruden, you got to be available. You have to be available. You have to prove that you're available. And for whatever reason, I'll find out more about that deal and how it's going to play out. But you know, that was a player that I thought had a lot of upside still left. And I think that player, a lot of people are talking now with Solomon Thomas, the former third pick overall in the draft, and how he could upgrade and play at a high level. And he's going to have to play at a very high level here. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor put out a bunch uh, today and over the last couple of days in regards to Raider information on Julio Jones. He did a bunch of questions and answers, and I'm sure you listen to Vinny every day at 4 o'clock. He's got a lot of good information, and he thought that the Raiders did a really good job on the defensive line. Vinny was talking about the role of Mad Max Crosby and what will Mad Max Crosby do? How will he fit in? Could there be a chance to see Clee Farrell, Yannick Ngakwe, and Crosby on the field together? And I think that's going to be the case because Clee Farrell's going to move inside. And on third down and second down and third down long passing downs, I think you'll see all three of them in at this point in time. I'm a big Mad Max guy, uh, more so than I am Cleveland Farrell. Cleveland Farrell's the better athlete, the better player. He was taken number four overall. But I like the way Mad Max fits in the system. Now, it's a new system coming up here with Gus Bradley, but I think it's going to be important. The Raider defense gave up 29.9 points a game. That was the third most in the NFL last year. It's not sustainable, as Vinny said. For the Raiders to take the next step, they have to improve. So they got to get that number somewhere to 21st or 22nd overall in the league if they're able to pull that off. And if they pull that off, then I think – and then I think this is interesting. And one of the things that we're talking about, as Vinny uh, talked about here, was the fact that the Falcons are desperate in moving Julio Jones. And that's a big story today because he was on TV with Shannon Sharp. And Vinny wrote, the Raiders make a ton of sense. There's no question they'll make a major push to add him to their offense. That said, no deal is expected until June 1st or after that. And, and that's where we sit here today. 
is that if the Raiders are going to get their ducks in order, which I think they're really good at. The Raiders, even going back to Reggie McKenzie and before that, I think the Raiders do a nice job inside their building of massaging the cap and knowing that the money that they have available and the money that is there and how important it is. So if they're able to figure out a way not to pay Julio Jones the full boat of the $15 million and then they restructure his deal, so they trade for Julio Jones and his guaranteed contract this year, and then they restructure his contract in years coming forward because, I mean, if you're going to trade for Julio Jones, you want him for three years. In the NFL, these contracts aren't guaranteed. But for Julio Jones to get some new money and come to the Raiders and play here for two years and play against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chargers and be a potential Pro Bowl player again and prove his critics wrong, I love that deal. I love Julio Jones. I'm not a guy that says, you know, Julio Jones. There are players I don't like in this league. Right? Des Bryant when he was available. There's always a veteran receiver. Always available. Well, you get a guy like Julio Jones. I've seen enough. And A.J. Green, I think, is more damaged goods. In my opinion, A.J. Green is more damaged goods than Julio Jones. So that'll be a big deal. A lot of people are buzzing on this. The three biggest names in football who all want to leave where they're at, confirmed, are Deshaun Watson, Julio Jones, and Aaron Rodgers. And the Raiders are landing spots for all three of them. Don't take it personally. I don't think Derek Carr takes it personally. I don't think that Henry Ruggs III would take it personally if Julio Jones was in the receiver room. Would everybody have a less touch? Yeah, I think they would. But I would like, I would personally, and you might agree with me or not, here's a good topic for everybody who wants to get into the Julio Jones topic. I would like to see the Raiders throw the ball more than run it. It's, that's not a criticism. That's just the way that I think the Raiders are going to have to win in a division that has Justin Herbert and clearly the best in Patrick Mahomes. I think the Raiders need to embrace the shootout. Now, they put together a beautiful plan, an absolute beautiful plan on how to go out and win when they were able to win against Kansas City. They almost beat them twice. And Carr played great. They were able to run the ball when they had to. They got off the field on third down. But, you know, the two-back set with the two-tight end set, I've never been a huge fan of. I'm a fan of spreading it out wide and going 4-5 wide or go 4 wide with Darren Waller and a go attack downfield that way with Derek Carr seeing the field more and having the ability to make plays. You might, be the, you might be the exact opposite. You might like this team being more ball control and running the ball, and they're built to do that. And they might have to do that more this year because of Alex Leatherwood. The fact that they got Leatherwood to come in and play on right tackle, who's a better run blocker than a pass blocker, and they brought in Kenyon Drake, and they don't have Rodney Hudson in pass protection, and Rodney was really good and solid at both. You know, John Gruden might be looking at this year that we're going to run it down your throat. With incognito coming back. I'd rather have Carr in the shotgun, a one-back set, and four wide receivers and, and Darren Waller running routes with Ruggs going deep over the top, right? Ruggs on the left side running a sprint. Julio Jones running a 10-yard in route or out route. Darren Waller cutting underneath and then having Hunter Renfro, third and Renfro there. You give us that, and I think the Raiders are going to be one of the most explosive offenses we've seen in Raider history. In Raider history, if that all works out. But, you know, you got to have the right personnel for John Gruden. And John Gruden likes to run the football. 702-365-9200.
Golden Knights playing tonight. Phil Mickelson won on Sunday. And Julio Jones is on the trade block. I don't know many days I'm going to have this much for you on a Monday. So sound off like you got a pair and let's keep it going. I'll be with Mike Mayock tonight over at the facility for an event with the Raiders that will be virtual for their suite. Uh, club owners, which will be a, a lot of fun. I'll get a really good perception of what Mike Mayock is thinking tonight after that event, and we'll bring it to the show tomorrow. And that's it. We're going to be busy. We're getting going here as we're entering another phase where the Raiders are showing tremendous attendance and showing up at full force as we continue. Remember, we're brought to you by Grimaldi's. Excuse me, Bobby? Chris and – okay, we'll get to Chris on the other side. And we're waiting for our guests to come on. We'll do that momentarily as we're brought to you by Grimaldi's, the best pizza I ever had. Five locations in the Valley. Five. And the home of the Grimaldi's $50 gift card, which I got a few that I need to give away. And maybe today's a good day to do it. We'll see. Golden Knights tonight's got my attention. Let's hear what you have to say on that. And we're waiting on Van McElroy in our legend segment next. He was the highest rated player on our board at that time, offense or defense. So um, we need to get a lot better on defense. We recognize that. We hope to get a lot better this weekend. Uh, we got three picks tomorrow. We're excited about each and every one of them. So, again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the board comes to us and, uh, and that we, play, we can take a, a real, three really good football players tomorrow. There he is, Mike Mayock, who I'll see tonight, and we'll get a little bit more understanding of what the Raiders are doing here as these young players are in town getting the work in. JT, back with you as we continue on. Ryan Hollins, ESPN NBA insider, scheduled to join us here at some point this hour. We're waiting on Van McElroy. I'm sure he'll call back. We'll get him. Chris in West Oakland decided to call in. How are you, Chris? Hey, JT, I'm doing well. Just got out of practice. It's nice to be able to get these kids back in the gym. And I heard you talking about Julio Jones, and I'm on board. Listen, I'd love to see the Raiders go out. There's nothing bad that can come of this. You go out, okay, if you give up a second, third, fourth rounder, whatever you can get him before, he immediately becomes your best wide receiver. He's a veteran that the young receivers can look up to. It gives Carr another legitimate shot over the middle. And time and time again, I've watched the Raiders be reluctant to pull the to, to to pull the trigger and make a trade for a guy like this, then you turn around and somebody else in the division is going to do it. I watched them pass up on Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick, defensive backs that were already all pros that they just wouldn't go do it. So I say they have nothing to lose, and I'm a thousand percent with you, JT. The numbers completely bear it out. The Raiders are a better team when they're throwing the ball. Last year they should have beat Kansas City twice. Yeah, they ran the ball, but Carr threw them for almost 700 yards in two games against Kansas City. And the reason the Raiders struggled in the red zone last year. On first and goal inside the 10-yard line, 90% of the time Gruden ran the ball. 70% of the time on second to him. Conversely, Aaron Rodgers threw 35 touchdowns in the red zone last year. Two-thirds of them came on first and second down. This isn't 1995 anymore. You're not going to bludgeon teams with the run. You're going to out – and I'm not saying abandon the run, but you're right. The two tight end, two back set, when people says, oh, well, Clark can audible. Well, there's nothing to audible to when you've got two tight ends and two running backs. 
quarterbacks. I believe, again, the evolution of the Raiders, the final step in this offense, John Gruden either has to hire a modern play caller or he himself has got to take the next step and realize this pound the ball up the middle when there's a nine-man box and everybody knows we're going to do it is not a way to win football games in 2021. So, as I said before, JT, I'm all in on Julio Jones. It's time the Raiders pulled the trigger and brought in one of these guys. I don't believe anything bad could come from going after Julio Jones and losing a draft choice over it. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Wow, Chris in West Oakland's been to every Raider home game ever, other than one in his lifetime. He 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 agrees with that. Uh, we'll see. I think the evolution of Card and Gruden in their fourth year is going to be better, and I think it's going to be more explosive in the passing game. At least that's what I'm sensing going forward. If you're on hold, we'll get back to you. Ryan Holland's kind enough to join us, the former 10-year big man in this league, uh, has a tremendous podcast and one of the premier NBA insiders out there. Ryan, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And let's begin with the two L.A. teams. I'll start with the Lakers. Do you think they have problems in front of them right now, down 0-1? Well, we'll start with the Lakers first. You know, obviously you knew there was a level of rust. LeBron historically last year just something about this Lakers squad does not want to show up game one. And LeBron is still coming into his own. So I, I, I guess the, the best sign for the Lakers is that Phoenix threw everything they had at you and now you're just going to have to adjust to Devin Booker having a really good game. But if Devin Booker doesn't play the way that he played, would Phoenix have been successful? Because I thought that was their best shot. So, you know, I, I'm not going to get to panic mode when it comes to LeBron. Anthony Davis knows that he has to be better. And honestly, we spoke about this earlier, Brick, when we talked. Dwight Howard missing, it, it, it's, it's a huge factor. No Dwight, no, no JaVale McGee. Those guys... Their minutes, those were the unsung heroes at a championship last year, and they haven't quite replaced it. Drummond really hasn't played that role. You know, his presence hasn't been there. He's much improved. I like the way he rebounded yesterday, but he's got to have a presence against a DeAndre Aiden. Well, let's stay with the Lakers and Anthony Davis. I thought that he did a great job taking the heat for his performance right after the game. It's almost like he's maturing, understanding the number two media market in Los Angeles, and the heat was going to come. So I thought it was a preemptive strike, Ryan, for him to try to kind of calm everybody down saying, I didn't play well, I'll be ready to go in game two. How'd you see it? No, that, that's huge. And, you know, you've got to have a sense of urgency. Even from when I played against Anthony Davis, he's always got a, like a laid-back type of chill demeanor, you know. And he's going to see different defenses thrown at him. You know, he's, a, he's an emphasis. If I'm playing the Lakers – the focus isn't necessarily LeBron James because you know LeBron is going to get his. It's more so not letting AD get his numbers. When AD is active, you allow LeBron James to rest. But when you can lock him up, you're going to force LeBron into a situation where he has to do a little more than expected. Do you think that Aiton and the they don't they're not as big as the Lakers? But are you surprised that? with what Phoenix has, that they could circle Anthony Davis. And you know Anthony likes to go out and shoot threes from time to time. He falls in love with that jump shot, in my opinion, too much. And Vogel's got to get him down in the low block and get him to the free throw line. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, Brick, if you look back to the series last year against the Heat, he was a big X factor. And when he was rebounding, when he was hitting the glass, he was using his length, you know, there was, there was nothing that the Miami Heat could have done. So, Maybe it's not the post, but you can get Anthony Davis on the block or dice him to the rim in different ways and fashion. Maybe it's a pick and roll where he's rolling to the rim. You know, maybe he's ducking in on the weak side. Maybe it's an early seal in transition. So 
I love his jump shot. He's got one of the softest touches for any big that we have in the league right now. But ultimately, when he gets a few layups or free throws, like you said, getting to the line, that opens the whole game up. I, I don't want to see Anthony Davis cutting to the rim and, and attacking a basket because now I know as great of a jump shooter is, I've got to respect his shot, and now he's going to have the drive. When you analyze the Lakers, Kuzma, zero points in 19 minutes. Caldwell Pope, one of seven from three for seven points. And Schroeder gets a lot of heat from Laker fans. I think he's had a nice career wherever he's bounced around, and he, he could get to the front of the rim. But Laker fans are used to better play. I mean, when you got a franchise that's had Magic Johnson and some of the greatest guards of all time, talk about those three players, Schroeder, Caldwell Pope, and Kuzma disappearing in game one. Well, the big thing about Dennis Schroeder, he asked for that really big contract. And he, yeah. he's really put, you know, the Lakers in a bit of a bind, and he hasn't played up to it. He doesn't look like a guy where if LeBron James was missing, he could carry the slack. He plays hard. He's scrappy. He'll make plays. But it's not of a starting point guard. Right now, he's an excellent guard coming off your bench. And he's went step forward right when he came in and said, I want to be a starter. You know, I'm not with the coming off the bench. But that's honestly his best role, and he's showing that. Kyle Kuzma has yet to prove us that he's a consistent third option. You know, consistency is key. You know, right now he'll have good games here and there, but you haven't really seen it at the time when needed or enough that you can rely on from him. And Kuzma's another guy very dependent on LeBron James. So LeBron James isn't zipping and running up and down the floor. you got to find ways to create your offense. And Kuzma's got to understand his offensive rebounds, is getting out in transition, is doing a lot of, of, of the little things. It doesn't have to be me, you play, making off the bounce. In KCP, I don't have too many fits about other than that. He's got to step up and guard Devin Booker. You know, it can't just be Caruso. But I feel like you're getting the, the – what I love about KCP is you get consistent effort. He plays hard. He brings it. He's scrappy. He's going to do his job. So I, I don't have big fusses about him. And obviously he's got to make shots. The Lakers are just out of rhythm because they got hit in the mouth by Phoenix. Phoenix went at him, you know, and you got to be the aggressor, the more physical team. And, Brick, I'm going to go back to what we talked about earlier. Dwight mm -hmm. Howard, you know, JaVale McGee, those guys set the tone to make everyone else comfortable. And you see how valuable that is right now. DeAndre Ayton ran amok against the Lakers. Ryan Hollins is our guest as we wrap it up. You know Ty Lue. How does he get the Clippers going here, especially Paul George and Kawhi, minutes-wise, and just have them try to dominate more and be alphas? Well, he's got to stick his foot in someone's butt and probably either Kawhi Leonard or, or Paul Jordan and say, go guard Luka Doncic. If you, if, you can, if you can take Luka out this series, you can make life hard on Luka, you win the series. <laughs> that, that, it, it's the Luka show right now. And you would think, Brick, if we just were looking at rosters, that the Clippers were the best equipped to guard a, either a LeBron James or a Luka, a big dynamic guard that can, you know, make plays. So, you know, they got to get out and they got to guard them. You know, 30-point triple-double shows how amazing he is at such a, such a young age. And honestly, I felt like Dallas was a better team last series, but because of injuries, they didn't come out. So, you know, they got to figure things out defensively. And that's what, honestly, Brick, that's what excited everybody about the Clippers. It wasn't just the offense. We know Kawhi can go get his when he needs to, but it was the defensive end of the floor that you thought they would be absolutely spectacular on, and they've been just okay. Hey, Ryan, I look at this. I'm a Nick fan, and I, I was disappointed in Julius Randle. I thought the stage was too big for him, and I want him to do well, so I'm not going to knock him that. I think he comes back and has a monster game, too, but he's another guy who falls in love with that three-pointer and that jump shot 
when he should be attacking the rim. I was surprised. I just thought the lights, 15,000 at the Garden, kind of overwhelmed them in a game where it didn't overwhelm Trey Young. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. And, you know, the one thing that they kept getting is Atlanta, they're, they're big, they're raw. You know, Collins and Capella, they they were big at the glass. Trey Young was able to live in the, in the lane because of his passing and playmaking ability. But, you know, the playoffs are a different animal. They're a different beast. Everything's a little faster. Everything's a little more physical. So, you know, New York kind of came on a little too much too late. So, if Randall can get comfortable – you know, he's going to be excellent, but he can't, you know, you can't sauce you into a playoff game because teams are going to be bringing everything at you. But, you know, you got some real intrigue there. I actually favored New York in a matchup, but the one thing they've got to do is they've got to start switching pick and rolls, you know, because if you let the bigs for Atlanta get behind you, they're going to have a field day, whether it's Trey Young uh, getting to the rim or him putting it up, put up in the air for one of his bigs to come down with. Hey, Ryan, finally we saw the play in – tournament for the playoffs but Adam Silver's floating this money grab about a mid-season playing tournament I, I just know there's a lot of NBA fans who are frustrated with the NBA you're a former player and you do really well in this business now in the media but I'm sure you're sensing it from time to time players fans don't want to see another money grab we're not used to this it's not European soccer why a playing tournament at the midway point who does that benefit other than the television partners well, the, here's the reality. You know, you got a lot of bills that are due. You know, there yeah. were contractual obligations, you know, and COVID happened where, you know, a lot of those national games were canceled. The playoffs weren't quite the playoffs, and the NBA is still trying to make good. You know, it, it, it's the honor system. So, you know, you do want to tweak things. You want to spice things up. And the one thing the fans want to see, but the biggest complaint about NBA basketball is what? The guys don't play hard all the time. You got to wait to the playoffs for them to play hard. So, you know, Adam Silver is trying to create – a unique environment where these guys come out and compete. Look, Rick, when I played overseas and I played Euro Cup and Spanish League and in, in Italian League, they get after you. They play hard, but also keep in mind they play less games. So, you know, the appeal of winning a midseason tournament is, is huge. When I played for the Sacramento Kings, the year that I came in, they won Summer League, and our owner of Vivek was ecstatic. You know, there are other organizations that you got to keep in mind that don't win championships. They don't have Katie, LeBron, or Kawhi, or Steph. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So a midseason tournament would be excellent for them. I think the question mark are what are the parameters for getting these guys in? And we're starting to see that kind of the theme of these playoffs is our young budding stars, the, you know, the Trey Young, the John Morant, the Devin Bookers, are showing and proving. And that could be a talent that you see in a playing game. Or not, excuse me, not a playing game, but a midseason tournament. So I'm intrigued at how it comes together. And I think the NBA, I'm not going to fault them for trying, and I know that they're going to go out and try to fine-tune whatever works or doesn't work in the process. Thanks, Ryan. Always great to catch up with you. I always appreciate your time and dedication towards your craft now in the media. You're fantastic. I appreciate it. Hey, man, I appreciate you, Brick. Thanks for having me. Anytime, brother. Hey, thank you. Ryan Hollins, great to talk to him. Brought to you by Ihole, the new tequila of the JT The Brick Show. Shout it out tonight. You'll see it on the glass. Ihole, a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights and what they're doing out in Henderson with the Silver Knights. One more hour to go here. Shane Knighty joins us next. <laughs>